0: And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarrelled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarrelled over that also, so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring. For my servant abraham's sake so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the lord and pitched his tent there and there isaac's servants dug a well when abimelech went to him from gerar with Ahuzath his advisor and feichel the commander of his army isaac said to them why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you they said we plainly see that the lord has been with you so we said let there be a sworn pact between us between you and us and let us make covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace you are now the blessed of the lord So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba. To this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beery the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah.
1: Hi, my name's Stephen and a big welcome to you if you're watching online or if you're one of our locations, either at the Villas over in Hove, Oasis at Hangleton or over at the Shoreham Centre. Big welcome to you uh, as we continue on in our Promise Endures series. Looking at the promises that were made to Abraham that we kind of just studied last year and look at the fact those promises weren't just for him, they were passed down through the generations to his son Isaac, to his grandson Jacob and down through generations. And actually we are included in that blessing as well. He was blessed, those people were blessed, so they might be a blessing to all nations, including you and I. I wonder if you have ever had someone make to you you, um, an extraordinary or outlandish promise or claim and uh, you've looked at them quizzically and thought, can I really trust what they're saying? The reality is the bigger a promise someone makes to us, probably the more guarded we should be. Is this really true? Is this really going to come through as you say it is going to happen? The old proverb, the old saying, don't count your chickens till they hatch, is good advice in those kind of settings. Can I really trust in what's being said? Have you had a situation where you've had to be a bit guarded? Well, sometimes we're wise to do that. Well, when we look at the promises that are made to Abraham, they are big promises. God has said to him, you who are old with a wife who is barren, you are going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand on the seashore. You are going to have a great land in which to live. And I am going to bless you that you might be a blessing to others. They were extraordinary blessings that God made to Abraham. And as we go into this series, we're exploring, did God keep this extraordinary promise? Did these blessings actually come about? Did they come to fruition? Have they been fulfilled? And as we've been looking at the last few weeks, we can see the beginnings of it already. When it comes to, are there as many descendants as there are sand on the seashore? Well, not quite yet, but there are four. There are four grains of sand. There is now Isaac, the son of promise, his wife, Rebecca, and their two sons as well. So they are beginning of the descendants. Have they got a land? Yes, they have. We found out last week that where Isaac almost went back to Egypt because the land he was in was in famine, God stops and says, don't worry. Stay in the land, I will bless you. So he stays in the land, he has that promise, and he is then blessed. So right at the beginning of this passage, we see right from the outset that God blesses Isaac. And he plants crops and they grow how much? A hundredfold, massive increase, exponential increase of crops. And his uh, flocks flourish as well. He becomes rich and wealthy. He knows blessing. Now, with blessing, there can also come adversity, as we'll find out as we go through. And uh, here's another phrase or saying from the late, great philosopher, Biggie Smalls, who says, more money, more problems. That's definitely uh, Isaac's situation. As he receives more of God's blessings, others look upon him with jealousy and envy and come against him. as we'll find out as we go through the passage, We are beginning to see the fact that this promise that God made to Abraham is beginning to work its way out and that Isaac is knowing blessing. Last week, we found that God blesses in the midst of famine. So this land is in famine. There is difficulty, but God blesses him in the midst of it. We find that God blesses in the midst of failure as well, where Isaac messed up. God comes with his grace and kindness to him. Again, helpful for us to know that whatever situation we're in, no matter how much we've messed up, we can know God's grace. We can know God's love. We can know God's blessing as well. The promises that he's made are sure and we can trust him. And that's what we're going to continue to look at. As we continue to look at the life of Isaac as well, we're going to look at a couple of lessons as well. And uh, really, they're not really lessons about Isaac's life. They're lessons about what we can learn, about who God is. So we're going to look at two particular areas. We're going to look at the fact that Isaac was very ordinary, I don't know how you feel about your own life. I often feel just a bit ordinary. Well, you know what? God sees ordinary people and he does extraordinary things through them and with them. And uh, we're going to look at that. We're also going to look at the fact that Isaac dug some wells. And we're to be those who dig wells as well. It seems a bit abstract right now, but as we get into it, you'll understand where we're headed. But let's start with Isaac being this very ordinary person. What kind of life does he have? Well, actually nothing of real note. He does not have a notable life. What is remarkable about him in in reality? The fact that he's unremarkable. Isaac is named amongst the three great patriarchs of the faith, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's repeated a dozen or so times in the Bible. This God is linked to these three great men and Isaac's named amongst them. So in one sense, there's great reverence for Isaac. Now he's one of these super elites, He's like, wow, he's named when are going to talk about this God and who he's linked to. He's linked to our, uh, kind of our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But when you actually look at Isaac's life, there's nothing really that remarkable about it. It's particularly when you begin to compare him to other people that he's standing next to. So Abraham, his father, where well, there's whole chapters devoted to the ups and downs, the rounds and rounds of his life and the different chapters of how things played out. And you look at Isaac's son, the other side, Jacob, well, Jacob has many sons. He know, you know, Isaac has a few, but Jacob has many, many sons. And uh, there's much more written about him. And he's given a new name, Israel, which becomes the nation's name. And as you go down to the grandson, you get Joseph, Joseph, the technical dreamcoat, kind of dream coat, who then becomes prime minister of Egypt. Like these amazing Baba characters, Isaac's not like them. When he appears in the stories, he appears as kind of a side character. He only has this one chapter, chapter Genesis 26, where he does anything of note. He is no one's favourite character. No one's thinking, oh, who's my favourite Bible character? Oh yeah, it must be Isaac. Because Isaac doesn't really do anything that really grabs our attention. He's a bit like Hawkeye from the Avengers. You're like, why are you even in this story? But the reality is that God sees him and knows him. And we may look at it and think, well, you've not done much in this chapter. In fact, everything that Isaac does in this chapter has been done before. He goes over what the space of one chapter, basically retells a lot of his father's story. He sins in the same way. And uh, even the thing he really positively does in terms of digging wells, as we'll we'll look in a moment, he just re-digs his father's wells. And he names them with the same names that his father gives them. He's the same sin, same wells, same names. He just seems to be this in-between character. He's just a caretaker, caretaker type guy, and they're just warming the seat for the next proper superstar, next character. But actually, that's really helpful for us. It's helpful for us because it helps us remind us that the story isn't really about the characters we read about. It's not really about Isaac anyway. And it also reminds us about our lives. Our lives aren't really about us. We're not the heroes of this story. Isaac's not the hero of the story God is. When we're coming to the Bible, coming to the Scriptures, it's about Him. It's about His story and what He is doing through people. It's remarkable that He should do anything through people, but He does. He's the extraordinary one. He is our great hero. And that being joined to Him is when the extraordinary thing happens. Good news for us, though, is that in a culture that prizes and celebrates achievements, and people that do extraordinary things or exceptional or stand-out things, we can be certain that God has a different set of values about it. He makes judgments very differently. He's looking at the heart. He's not looking at some of the external things that the world looks at. No, he's concerned with faithfulness and with obedience. Jesus said these famous words, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not like, if you love me, you'll go and do some great exploit out there. No, no, you'll do the thing in front of you with obedience and love for me. Now, sure, for some, that will mean that we go and do remarkable things. Incredible, incredible exploits for him. I have shells full of stories of Christians who've gone before, have done amazing things as God has led them and commanded them. And they do make very good reading. They make headline news. We read books or make films about them. But for most believers, for most Christians, our lives before God just means faithfully doing what God has put in front of us to do. Doing the ordinary things of life in reference to God and his commands, our reverence and love for him. Even for those who do amazing things, most of their days are not filled with amazing things. Most of the days are just filled with mundane things. Going back to that story of Joseph, Joseph becomes becomes this amazing uh, kind of dream interpreter, ends up rising to the top ranks in Egypt, has amazing power and wealth. The reality of most of his story, he spent mopping floors uh, as a slave in someone's house or looking after the other prisoners in a prison. And even Trevor, when he becomes prime minister, yes, it might come as some glitz, but governmental work, I'm sure, is not all that much fun. The reality is the mundane, faithfully working out what God's put them uh, put, put in front of them to do. God's economy, God's judgments are different for ours. He looks at the heart, not at the externals. We see this even with the life of Jesus. Isaiah, Isaiah says about him, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus, if you'd met him, was just an ordinary looking bloke living in a town that was not that extraordinary bit like Bogner, that's the kind of guy he was he's just a carpenter from Bogner. that's the, the equivalent really so like you you wouldn't really necessarily want to go there you wouldn't necessarily want to meet him he didn't do anything of any notes whatsoever before the age of 30. He was an ordinary person that's how God chose to reveal himself what about Jesus' mother Mary, the mother of Jesus, probably the most famous woman that has ever lived. What did she do with her life? She raised children. Think, oh yeah, is, is that it? That is basically all she did. She was given Jesus an extraordinary, extraordinary privilege, absolutely. And to be part of, to, be the, uh, to have the virgin birth, you know, that's inc- incredible. But what was her part in it? Her part was just to give birth, have a baby and raise and love Jesus and do it faithfully and with obedience and with worship to God. When we look at the story of Isaac here, what do we find he does? He plants crops, he shepherds his flocks, he has some kids and he keeps out of trouble. That's what Isaac does. It's not very remarkable. But what does this mean for us? Well, it means for us that we look through our lives through the lens that God does. That we are to be those who are faithfully about what he's given us to do. Keep obeying his commandments and doing the things that he's given us to do well for him. That's with our work, with our studies, with our responsibilities, doing it diligently in a way that worships him. It says in the Bible, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Sometimes when I think, do I really have to do this dull, mundane task at work? It's like, actually, this dull, mundane task can be done in worship to God. It changes it. I don't often think like that, but I try to, particularly when I have to write job descriptions, which is just one of the worst jobs. But I want to do it for the glory of God. What about our families being in our households? Are you a good housemate? Are you a good spouse? Are you a good parent? Are you looking at it in a way where you want to worship God in the way that you do it? And what about just keeping out of trouble? We look at this passage where he says lots of ways that Isaac could have responded badly, could have blown up at some of the people that come against him, but he decides to live peaceably, trusting in God in those moments. Sometimes maybe we want a more dramatic life, we want more profile or more notice, maybe not on public, in a massive public domain, but just even just from those around us. I wish people kind of registered me more valued me more. That can be the way we look at things. And we can sometimes value other people's stories as more exciting or better than ours. But we need to be those who look at it and think, what is it that you, you value Jesus? What is it that you are looking for, looking at? My wife Emma and I were once talking with a group of friends and uh, she kind of pointed out to one of our friends that his testimony of what God had done in his life was way more dramatic and, and uh, kind of better, was better essentially than hers that he'd had quite a hard background had made some terrible choices, but God had miraculously and wonderfully and graciously saved him. And he had this wonderful story that he could tell others. that did inspire people. And he said, as she said to him, I wish I had your story. It's so much more amazing. And he was very clear with her. He said, absolutely not. Your story is much better than mine. He said, Emma, yours is much better. You grew up in a Christian home and you stayed faithful to the faith that your parents gave you. As you went through your teenage years and adult years, you stayed close to Jesus and grew in love for him and service to him. He said, I wish that was my story. That story is a wonderful story. And, you know, in one sense, we'd all be jealous even of that. But we've got to acknowledge that the boring, faithful stories, you know what? They are pleasing to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I just feel ordinary, bit past over, I'm just a bit part. God doesn't view that. He views those who are faithful to him as absolute superstars. They are extraordinary to him. He looks and thinks, well done, uh, good and faithful servant. That's the words that he speaks over those who speak, uh, who who, who stay true and faithful to him. I do a lot of icebreakers in my job, work with lots of teams and often throw out things like, who's your favourite speaker or preacher? Or tell me a significant moment you've had with God. Now, often those kind of highlight moments in our lives that we talk about, and uh, we we kind of prize them, don't we? They're the ones that jump to our memory. We're very slow, however, to uh, remember the things that actually make the difference. And those are the diligent people who have sown into our lives. Often our parents, we just kind of totally pass over, don't we? Their role in our lives are oh, they just our parents? We're asking, no, God, thank you for the parents. There's a reason that God tells us to honour our mother and father because they're the ones who so often, no, that's not everyone's story, but so often they're the ones who have loved us the most, provided for us. And for those of us who have Christian parents, we must be so grateful that they passed on the faith to us. They read our Bible stories at night, brought us to church, put us in Sunday school. We need to remember those as well who've served us in our churches, youth leaders, poor youth leaders. It's a pretty thankless task. Youth leaders, we thank you we love that you faithfully work, work it week in, week out. I tell you, the youth workers in this church right throughout the pandemic when every other team, serving team, had basically shut down, they worked tirelessly online being excited for young people on the other end who were like, okay, thanks. But you know, we just thank you and we honour you to faithfully serving in those moments. I think about the youth leaders who made a massive impact on my life, but I forget that actually they were part of a whole team of youth workers. Actually, they were part of a whole team that just opened up the building kept the building clean so youth work could happen, so that I could walk and grow in God. So much of what we do is hidden. So much it doesn't seem that dramatic, uh, uh, kind of a fruitful moment in, in itself by itself. But those are the things that God loves. He looks at faithfulness. He looks at those who are diligently follow him and he looks at them uh, with great joy and uh, honour upon them. Now, some of us, we will go on to do crazy exploits. I'm not saying we shouldn't. And if that's what God is calling you to do, let me encourage you, go at it with all your might. Maybe God is calling you to do something that's just out of the box, totally out of your comfort zone. It would be disobedient not to do that. And actually to be faithful to what God is, is to go for it. Think of things like prophets in the Bible, where God told, told them to do some pretty wild things. It would be wrong for them to have stayed in the shadows. In fact, some of them got it wrong, didn't they? Think of Jonah. God told him to do, go and do something. He's like, no, I don't want to go and do that. And he runs away. Now, if you're called to do something crazy, go and do it. Go and do some crazy exploits for God, absolutely. But for many of us, it's just to do the thing that's in front of us well. For Isaac, he wasn't called to do something dramatic. In fact, if he'd done something dramatic, it could have blown up the promise enduring through him. Now, if he suddenly fought back against the Philistines who were trying to block up the wells that he dug, he could have done all kinds of things to endanger his family, his household, and what he was meant to do in that land. For us, for each of us, we need to look at what we've got and say, God, what is it you want me to do with the things that are in my hands? For all of us, the extraordinary is to faithfully pass on what has been entrusted to us. Like a runner in a relay race, we're to pass on the baton without dropping it. So when the race is finished, we can say we played our part. We're a part of the team. Jesus, we did the thing you called us to do on this wonderful team. We pass on the good news of what you've done in our lives. Pass on the good news of your grace in our lives. The Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian church, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. We're not to run the race of the person next to us. We're meant to run the race that God has given us. Not looking through the lens of what they did. You know what? Comparison is such a thief of joy. If only my life was like them. Life is like them. You know what? And actually comparison is a sin. In the Ten Commandments it says, envy, coveting is wrong. It's displeasing to God. We have to be content with the lane that God's given us and run it well. For Isaac, what did he do? He just passed the baton on. He didn't do anything traumatic. You know what the reason he's named amongst those three patriarchs is because he actually did his bit well. Did he get it wrong? Yes, he did. We learned last week. He did fail at points, but he knew God's grace and blessing. And then he sought to trust God and to pass on the blessing well. What is that for you? Parent well. Do your job, serve the church, pray for your friends and family, do the work of an evangelist, do a thing in front of you and do it faithfully. But let's go back to today's passage and look at one of the ordinary things that Isaac does. What does he do? He digs wells. More to the point, his servants probably did, but the point is there. And uh, it's difficult for us to understand, really, the significance of uh, digging wells and water because we do not live in pre-modern uh, society, pre-modern agricultural society, or, um, or living in the midst of famine. That's just not our experience. I know if I want water, I can just turn the tap on, can't I? Or I just pour it from my Brita jug into my kettle. I've got water literally on tap. And uh, failing that, if the water got shut off for some reason, I just go to my favourite coffee shop and get a flat white from any of eight varieties of different types of milk. My life is very, very different to what Isaac is experiencing here. For Isaac, for his household, water meant life. Not having water meant death. Water is incredibly important for him. Water meant the crops could grow. He could water his flocks. His household was safe. His family was safe. So, therefore, digging wells was a really important thing for him to do. So, we see him dig three wells initially in this passage, but not without trouble. He is a blessed man, but as he digs these wells, suddenly trouble comes against him. These Philistines are looking on with envy. He's blessed, his crops are going a hundredfold. He's got sheep's galore and sheep's sheep galore, and his household's growing, he's growing in wealth. And they don't like it. And so they come and fill in the wells. They don't want him near. They don't want him to be blessed. And it happens once, it happens twice, and he finally finds a third well where it's better. And the first ones he calls Essek and Sitna, which uh, you and I obviously know mean uh, strife and hostility. He names them after the fact that they are just difficult situations. He's dug, it's taken energy, and they've been taken away from them. Leads to strife and hostility. But he goes again. He goes and digs this third well. And this time he calls it Rehoboth, which again, you and I both named room or space. And really it's acknowledgement that God has provided room and provision for him and for all involved. In fact, there might be peace, no longer strife, no longer hostility. So what is there to learn from this? Well, it's certainly not to go and dig wells. You know, that's that's not the application here. Not physical ones anyway. But the reality is, there are a couple of things for us to learn here. First one is that we are to expect adversity in the blessing. Last week, we did the opposite. We said that even in the midst of adversity, we can expect blessing. In the darkest moments of our lives, we can know God's grace and look for evidences of His grace everywhere, in fact, there's never a time that God is not with us and not blessing us. But also the other is true. Even the men in the midst of being blessed people. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you have got every spiritual blessing that you need. You know forgiveness for your sins. You can know hope of eternal life. You can know what it is to be right with the living God. Know that he is for you. And if you're not a believer, that's the kind of blessing we want to welcome you into. That you can have a relationship with the living God, with Jesus, who is the lover of your soul. We can be blessed people. We are blessed people. But even though we are blessed people, we do face adversity. And we mustn't be surprised when that's the case. I know that I am surprised sometimes by the difficulty that comes my way, particularly when it comes in waves. I don't know if you have experienced that sometimes. I think something goes wrong. And it's like, oh, something else gets wrong. I start expecting more things to go wrong. I think, oh my days, they don't come in one. They come in several all at one time. I'm thinking, oh, surely not this as well, God. What a surprise, How, why are you doing this? But the reality is we live in the now and not yet of the blessing. There is the now. Jesus has won the victory on the cross, but we don't yet have the whole war won. The battles are being won for us. We do know the fact that we can stand before God righteous from our sin. But yeah, we still do battle with sin. I know what it is to grow in holiness, but I'm not holy yet. I know that there is blessing in all kinds of circumstances in my life, but not everything yet. I've prayed for some people to be healed and they have been. I've prayed for other people to be healed And I haven't. I've ended up going to be with Jesus. There is a now and not yet around the blessings in our life. And when adversity comes, we shouldn't be so surprised, but realise that the blessing has not come in full yet, but it will. There is a time coming when Jesus will come back, where we will be with him and we will be in perfect paradise, the perfect land with all the descendants that he's promised to gather to himself and all the blessings that come along with that. First, the first thing is we should, like Isaac, expect some adversity, even though we are blessed people. But then what do we do? Well, the second thing is we are those like Isaac who go again. We go and redig dig and we go and redig dig back in the places we know that there is water and goodness and life. There is more to know of God and his life. Because maybe for you right now, maybe for you, it is someone coming against you. Maybe you're knowing adversity from someone, or maybe for you, it's just not knowing God in the way you have done previously. Maybe you're not knowing the life-giving, refreshing relationship with God and His Holy Spirit that you have known in the past. Let me encourage you, you can go back there and know more of His blessing. This passage is actually some of the inspiration around the gatherings last term. As a team, we felt God's spoken to us from this passage about the fact it was time to unblock the wells. Well, the pandemic has shut so much down and stopped us being together and seeking God together. Actually, this was a time to bring the church together and unblock those wells and experience more of the Holy Spirit's work in our life and in our community. But that's for us as well, individually and corporately, to go back to what we know is good and right. Isaac goes to the places he knows his father has dug before. He doesn't have any sense of novelty of, oh, I'll go and find a new place to dig. No, he knows where there's water and goes there again. Maybe right now you're not feeling very close to God. Maybe you're not knowing his blessing. Let me encourage you, go back to where you know that there is blessing to be received from God. In the Bible, Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesians and say, go back, return to your first love. What is it that has sparked your heart for love for Jesus before? Go back there again. And if it doesn't work the first time, go again. There's perseverance. Here. I didn't just have to move once, you had to move twice. I had to dig and digging is sometimes hard work, but it's worth it. Go back ultimately to Jesus. Go back to the gospel truths, the foundations on which we stand on. That is what actually brings us life. I was talking with a team this week around the the appeals we have on Sunday and the temptation we all feel to, if you're a Christian, just to switch off, like, oh, I'm already a Christian. I don't need to think about it. I think in my best moments, I take that moment to think, God, thank you that I already know this to be true for me, that I know this blessing. Let this blessing live in my soul. Let me return to that moment when I first responded to your great love for me. It's also a good moment to pray for other people in the room that they would experience it too. In fact, that's our prayer for you today. If you don't know Jesus, you might respond in faith to him. Let me encourage you, get back to the church. Maybe if you're watching a line, you're not made back into church yet, or maybe you're struggling to be back in church after the pandemic. It doesn't feel like how it did before. It's not quite the same. And let me tell you, maybe you're from the race course site, the marina site, sorry, that got shut down just before the pandemic and you are coming back into the Clarence Centre site. It's not quite home, it doesn't quite feel right. Let me encourage you, persevere. Don't shrink back. Choose to be part of God's people, to receive the blessing of being together. Don't wait to invest in, invest in the community. Invite the Holy Spirit to help you knit in. Get into a small group this term. We've not been able to have them for, year, for years, literally years, two years. It's time to get together, get into each other's homes, get into each other's lives, be praying for one another, studying the word together. Get into the word. That is life itself. This morning we're reading Psalm 103 with some other, another group. A Psalm that has served my soul so many times and this morning it just felt, just, it just felt fresh again for me. And I'm just so thankful to Jesus for that. Return to passages that have done you good. Go back to them. It's a bit cliche to read Psalm 23. It's so famous. There's a reason it's famous. It's so good for the soul. Whatever season you're in, get into those bits of the bow you know are gonna do you good. Let me encourage you, pray. Let me encourage you, fast. Do the things you know that can unblock the wells of God's blessing in your life. Knowing that those who seek him, what? They will find him. Those who seek him will find Jesus, will find his blessing, will find his promises to be true for them. We are ordinary people, but we get to get caught up in God's extraordinary story. If all we do is pass the baton to the next person, that is a good and well done moment. Don't belittle that, enjoy that. And how do we do that? We do that by keep digging into Jesus, asking him for faith, for help, for more of his spirit in our lives. I love at the end of this story, um, they dig another well, a fourth well. And uh, it's this, you know, they've got enough water, you think they've got wells, they've got space, they've got room now, but they dig again. Because you know, even if you know Jesus, even if you're living in the wonderful goodness of his grace right now, there's more, there's more to know, more of his power, more of his love to experience, experience blessing. And when his Isaac do that blessing, he gives it away. He gives it away to those enemies that are coming against him. You know, he gives it to them. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. A wonderful forerunner of the fact that Jesus didn't keep his inheritance to himself. He's given it away to us. He's given uh, us his best blessing. And we can therefore be those who trust him and give away the blessing to others as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for stories of extraordinary people and the way they inspire us, Lord. But thank you for the stories of ordinary faithful people that remind us to do likewise. And God, I want to pray, just breathe faith into all those that are listening right now. To be those who want to follow you diligently, wholeheartedly, full of faith, that you want to use them for your glory as part of your big story. That's where the extraordinary blessing comes, Lord. I want to pray for those who right now feel the wells of life are a bit blocked up. God, I want to pray, come and be kind to them. I pray again, restore their faith to the point where they get digging, digging into your word, coming to you in prayer, even as worship, as we worship in a moment. Lord, as we get into the community of believers, we might do each other good, we might dig together and enjoy that, Lord God. And I pray for those who don't yet know you, Lord God, I pray help them dig in as well. Where they do it through Alpha, or even just as they listen to this, Lord God, they might say, Jesus, come into my life. I pray they might find that you are a wonderful wellspring that springs up from within them, Lord, giving
0: them life and faith, we pray.